Chapter 3 of Lover or Friend by Rosa Carey, The Blake Family at Home Her manner was warm and even ardent. Her sensibility seemed constitutionally deep, and some subtle fire of impassioned intellect apparently burnt within her. De Quincey There was certainly a tinge of bohemianism in Audrey's nature. She delighted in any shortcut that took her out of the beaten track. A sudden and unexpected pleasure was far more welcome to her than any festivity to which she was bidden beforehand. "'I am very unlike Gage,' she said once to her usual confidant, Captain Burnett. "'No one would take us for sisters. Even in our cradles we were dissimilar. Gage was a pattern baby, never cried for anything, delighted everyone with her pretty ways, and I was always grabbing at father's spectacles with my podgy little fingers and screaming for the carving-knife, or any such incongruous thing. Do you know my first babyish name for father?' "'I believe it was Daddy Glass-Eyes, was it not?' was the ready response, for somehow this young man had a strangely retentive memory and seldom forgot anything that interested him. Audrey laughed. I had no idea you would have remembered that. How I loved to snatch off those spectacles. You can't see me now, Daddy Glass-Eyes. I can hear myself saying that. Daddy can't see with only two eyes. You were a queer little being even then, he returned, somewhat dryly. But I believe, as usual, we're wandering from our subject. You are a most erratic talker, Audrey. What made you burst out just now into this sisterly tirade? Ah, to be sure, I was contrasting myself with Gage. It always amuses me to do that. It only proceeded from a speech the Countess made this afternoon. For in certain naughty moods, Audrey would term her elder sister, the Countess. She declared half the pleasure of a thing consisted in preparation and anticipation. I disagree with her entirely. I like all my pleasures served up to me hot and spiced, without any flavour reaching me beforehand. That is why I am so charmed with the idea of surprise parties and impromptu picnics and all that kind of thing. Audrey felt as though she were assisting at some such surprise party as she turned in at the green gate and relieved Joe of the basket. Molly came running round the side of the house to meet her. She had washed her face and brushed out her tangled hair and tied it afresh. Oh, what have you there? she asked in some little excitement. Miss Ross, have you really carried all these things? The kettle is boiling, and I have some clean cups and saucers. Kester has been helping me. I think Mamma is awake, for I heard her open her window just now. What a nice, intelligent face she has, thought Audrey, as she unpacked her basket and displayed the hidden dainties before the girl's delighted eyes. I'm sure I shall like Molly. She is not a bit pretty. I dare say Gage and Michael will call her plain, but she has an honest look in her brown eyes. Molly, speaking aloud, if your mother has awakened from her nap, she'll be quite ready for her tea. May I go into the kitchen a moment? I want Biddy to boil these eggs. They are new laid, and perhaps you could find me a plate for the butter. And as Molly ran off, Audrey turned coolly into the kitchen, a pleasant apartment overlooking the street, where she found a little old woman with a wrinkled face and dark, hawk-like eyes, standing by the hearth, watching the boiling kettle. The kitchen was in the same state of chaos as the dining room. The table, covered with unwashed dishes and crates half-unpacked, littering the floor. It was evident Biddy was no manager. As she stood there in her dirty cotton gown, with her thin grey hair twisted into a rough knot, and a black handkerchief tied loosely over her head. She was the image of fairy disorder. Her bent little figure, and the blackened poker in her hand, carried out the resemblance. As she looked up, 
with her bright, peering eyes at the tall young lady who confronted her. Do you think I could find a saucepan, Biddy? I suppose there is one about somewhere, was the encouraging answer. Perhaps Miss Molly will be knowing. She boiled some potatoes for dinner. Do you mean this? Regarding the article with some disfavor. Would it trouble you very much to wash it while I make the tea? I have some nice fresh eggs, which I think they will all enjoy. But Biddy only returned a snapping answer that was somewhat unintelligible and carried out the saucepan with rather a sour face. Disagreeable old thing, thought Audrey as she made the tea, but she afterwards retracted this hasty judgment. Biddy was a bad manager, certainly, but she was not without her virtues. She was faithful and would slave herself to death for those she loved, but she was old for work, and the ache, as she called it, had got into her bones. She had slept on the floor for two nights, and a poor old back was tired, and her head muzzled with confusion, and her mistress's fretful fussiness. Biddy could have worked well if anyone had told her exactly what to do, but between one order and another, between Mr. Cyril's impatience and Miss Molly's incapable youthful zeal, she was just moithered, as she would have said herself. She brought back the saucepan after a minute, and Audrey boiled the eggs. As she looked down at the hissing, bubbling water, an amused smile stole over her features. If any gauge could see me now, she thought, and then Molly came in and rummaged in a big basket for teaspoons. Audrey carried out her teapot in triumph. Molly had done her work well and tastefully. The snowy cloth was on the table. There were cups and saucers and plates. The butter was ornamented with green leaves. The cakes were in a china basket. Kester was dusting some chairs. Doesn't it look nice? exclaimed Molly, quite forgetting her shyness. How oh, I wish Cyril would come in. He does so love things to be nice. Hey and Kester are so particular. Mamma glancing up at a window above them. Won't you please to hurry down? May I sit there, Miss Russ? I always pour out the tea, because Mamma uh, does not like the trouble, and Kester always sits next to me. Is your mother an invalid, my dear? asked Audrey, feeling that this must be the case. Mamma, oh no, she has a headache sometimes, but so do I, and Cyril often says the same. I think Mamma is strong, really. She can take long walks, and she often sits up late reading or talking to Cyril, but it tries her to do things in the house. She's never been accustomed to it, and putting things to right in Cyril's room has quite knocked her up. What are you talking about, you little chatterbox? interrupted a gay, good-humoured voice, and Audrey turned round, saw a lady in black coming quickly towards them. The next moment, two hands were held out in very friendly fashion. I need not ask who our kind visitor is, she went on, Mrs. Blake. I know it must be Miss Ross. No one else could have heard of our arrival. Have you ever experienced the delights of a move? I think I've never passed a more miserable four and twenty hours. I'm utterly done up, as I dare say my little girl has told you. But the sight of that delicious tea table is a restorative in itself. I'd no idea Rutherford held such kind neighbours. Molly, I hope you have thanked Miss Ross for her goodness. Dear me, what a figure the child looks. Yes, Mamma, replied Molly, with a return of her shyness, as she slunk behind the tea tray. Audrey had apparently no answer ready. The oddest idea had come into her mind. Supposing Michael were to fall in love with Mrs. Blake. He was a great admirer of beauty, though he was a little fastidious on the subject, and certainly, with the exception of Geraldine, Audrey thought she had never seen a handsomer woman. Mrs. Blake's beauty was certainly of no ordinary type. Her features were small and delicate, and her face had been the fine oval that one sees in the portraits of Mary, Queen of Scots. Her complexion was pale and somewhat creamy in tint, and set off the dark hazel eyes and dark smooth coils of hair to perfection. 
The long black dress and widow-like color and cuffs suited the tall, graceful figure, and as Audrey noticed the quick changes of expression, the bright smile, and listened to the smooth, harmonious voice, had she seen so fascinating a woman. Gage will rave about her, was her mental critique. She will say at once that she has never seen a more ladylike person. Ladylike, that is Gage's favourite expression. And as to Michael, well, it is never Michael's way to rave, but he will certainly take a great deal of pleasure in looking at Mrs. Blake. Will you sit by me, Miss Ross? asked her hostess in a winning voice, and Audrey woke up from her abstraction, colouring and smiling. I've taken a great liberty with your house, she said, feeling for the first time as though some apology would do the queenly beneficence of Mrs. Blake's manner seemed to imply some condescension on your part in accepting such favours. I called to see if you needed any assistance from a neighbour, and I found poor Molly looking so tired and perplexed that I stayed to help her. Molly does her best, replied Mrs. Blake gently, but she is a sad manager, and so is Biddy. They nearly worry me to death between them. Put a thing straight, it's sure to be crooked again the next moment. I'm sure Molly works hard enough grumbled Kester, but his mother did not appear to hear him. I am a wretched manager myself, she went on. If we're not for Cyril, I don't know what would become of us. Poor Kester is no use to anyone. Would you believe it, Miss Ross, that when he arrived last night not a bedstead was up? That was Biddy's fault. She forgot to remind the men. We all slept on the floor except Kester. Cyril would put up his bed for him, though I told him that just for once and on a summer's night it would not hurt him. Marley and Kester glanced at each other, and then Kester bit his lip looked down at his plate. Oh, Mama, began Molly eagerly, but Mrs. Blake gave her a quick, reproving look. Please don't interrupt, Molly. I want Mrs. Ross to understand. She'll be quite shocked to see such confusion. Cyril said this morning we should be ill if we passed another night in that way. So he and Biddy have been putting up the beds and getting the upstairs rooms in order, and Molly was sent down to make the dining room a little tidy. But Mama, pleaded Molly, turning very red. My dear little girl, observed her mother sweetly. Miss Ross can see for herself the room has not been touched. Because Kester was asleep, and Cyril told me I must not wake him, persisted Molly, looking ready to cry again. Whenever I began, either you or Cyril called me. And here, though Molly dashed away a tear bravely, another followed and would splash down on her frock. The poor little soul was tired and dispirited, and Miss Ross would think she had been idle, instead of having worked like a slave since early morning. Don't be a goose, Molly retorted Mrs. Blake with her ready good humour that seemed natural to her. You are too old to cry at a word. Miss Ross, may I have one of those delicious cakes? I shall feel a different woman after my tea. Children, what can have become of your brother? I thought he was only going out for half an hour. He is to dine at Woodcott tonight, I believe, Mrs. Blake? Yes, Dr. Ross kindly asked him this morning. I must not begin to talk about Cyril. That must be a tabooed subject. Of course, her mother has a right to be proud of her son, and such a son, too, but it is not necessary for her to bore other people. If you were to ask me, with a low laugh of amusement at her own expense, if I thought any other mother's son could be as handsome and clever and affectionate as my Cyril, I should probably say no, but I will be prudent for once. I will not try to prejudice you in his favour. Cyril shall stand on his own merits tonight. He will not need his mother's recommendation. Mrs. Blake made the speech with such a pretty air of assurance, such conviction that there was something pardonable in her egotism, with such winning frankness that Audrey forgave the thoughtless insinuation against poor, overtasked Molly. It was evident that Mrs. Blake idolised her eldest son. Her eyes softened as she mentioned his name. Ah, there is his step, she added hastily. No one walks in the same way as Cyril does. Isn't it a light, springy tread? Checking herself with another laugh. 
I must really hold my tongue or you'll think me a very silly woman. No, I like you all the better for it, replied Audrey bluntly. She had no time to say more, for a gay whistle heralded the newcomer, and the next moment a young man vaulted lightly over the low window sill. He seemed a little taken aback at the sight of a stranger, shook hands rather gravely with Audrey, and then sat down silently beside his mother. Audrey's first thought was that Mrs. Blake had not said a word too much. Cyril Blake was certainly a very striking-looking young man. He's like his mother, she said to herself. He is as handsome in his way as she is in hers. There is something foreign in his complexion, and in those very dark eyes it looks as though there were Spanish, Italian blood in their veins. She hardly looks old enough to be his mother. Father said he was two and twenty. What an interesting family they seem. I am sure I shall see a great deal of them. Cyril was a little silent at first. He was afflicted with the Englishman's mauvaise honte with strangers, and was a little young for his age, in spite of his cleverness. But Mrs. Blake was not disposed to leave him in quiet. She knew that he could talk fluently enough when his tongue was once loosened, so she proceeded to tell him of Audrey's neighborly kindness, treating it with an airy grace, and of course Cyril responded with a brief compliment or two. She then drew him out by skillful questions on Rutherford and its inhabitants, to which Audrey duly replied. And you like the place, Miss Ross? Oh, of course one likes the place where one lives, she returned brightly. I was only a little girl when father came to Woodcott, so all my happiest associations are with Rutherford. I grumble sometimes because the town is so small and there's not enough human beings. There are over three hundred boys, are they not? asked Cyril, looking up quickly. Oh, boys, I was not thinking of them. Yes, there are more than three hundred. I delight in boys, but one wants men and women as well. We have two few types. There are the masters and the masters' wives and the doctors and the vicar and a curate or two. But that is all. A public school is nice, but its society is limited. Limited, but choice. Decidedly choice. Now, in my opinion, please ought not to be too exclusive. I am sociable by nature. The world forgetting by the world forgot is not to my mind. I like variety, even in character. I think we are kindred spirits, my dear Miss Ross. How often have you heard me say the same thing, Cyril? This is why I took such a dislike to Headingley. The people there were so terribly exclusive and purse-proud. Not purse-proud, mother. You are wrong there. Well, they were very stiff and inhospitable. There was no getting on with them at all. I think the Boyces were the worst. Mrs. Bryce is the proudest woman I know. Mother, observed Cyril warningly, it is never safe to mention names. I think that is. I am sure I've heard that Mrs. Bryce is a connection of Miss Ross. Oh, I hope not, in an alarmed voice. Do forgive me my very plain speaking. There is no harm done, returned Audrey lightly. Mrs. Bryce is only a connection of my sister's by marriage. She's Mr. Hartcourt's sister. I'm afraid I sympathise with you there. I have no special liking for Mrs. Bryce myself. She's clever, an excellent manager, but she is a little too proper, too fond of laying down the law for my taste. Oh, I am so glad, clapping her hands. Cyril is always keeping me in order. He's so afraid of what I may say next. You certainly are a most incautious person, mother. See how my children keep me in order? With an air of much humility. Mrs. Harcourt is your sister and lives at Rutherford. I do hope she is like you, Miss Ross. No, indeed, shaking her head and laughing. We are very different persons. Geraldine is far better than I am. She is exceedingly clever, most accomplished, and so handsome. Everyone falls in love with her at first sight. She is quite a little queen here, and no one disputes her sway. Mrs. Blake gave an eloquent shrug, but she did not venture on a more direct answer, and Audrey sat and smiled to herself, 
as she thought that Geraldine and Edith Bryce were certainly pattern women. How pleasant it all was. Audrey had never enjoyed herself more. She was making herself quite at home with these Blakes. But surely there was no need to hurry home. Gage was with her mother. She might indulge herself a little longer. She longed to talk more to Kester and Molly, but she found it impossible to draw them into the conversation. They sat quite silent. Only every now and then Audrey's quick eyes saw an intelligent look flash between them, a sort of telegraphic communication. I hope these poor children are not left out in the cold, she thought uneasily. Their brother does not seem to notice them. He and his mother are wrapped up in each other. It is hardly fair. Again Audrey was forming a hasty judgment. The country is not pretty, is it? asked Cyril at this moment, as she woke up from her reverie. It's a little flat, but it has its good points. It is a splendid hunting country, as you know. Oh, yes, I think it pretty. There are nice walks, and very partial to the grass lanes we have about here. In fine weather, they are delicious. Are you a good walker? Oh, yes, I am strong, and there is nothing I enjoy so much. One is such splendid company for oneself. Leo and I used to have such expeditions. Leo was a St. Bernard puppy, only he died three weeks ago of distemper. I cannot bear to speak of him yet. He was my playfellow, and so handsome and intelligent. My cousin, Captain Bennett, has promised to find me another dog. He is a dachshund himself, such a loving, faithful little creature. He is obliged to take booty wherever he goes, or the poor thing would fret himself to skin and bone. Is that retriever your special property? And Audrey laughed at Cyril as she spoke. No, he belongs to Kester, he returned carelessly, then with a quick change of tone. You tired, old fellow. Would you like me to help you indoors? And as Kester languidly assented, he picked up his crutches and, taking possession of one, substituted his arm, while Molly ran before them with a couple of cushions. Mrs. Blake looked after them, and a cloud came over her face. Is it not sad? she said in a melancholy tone. That poor boy. He'll be a drag on Cyril all his life. He'll never be able to gain his own living. He's fifteen now. It was the result of an accident, was it not? But Audrey regretted her abrupt question as a troubled expression came into the mother's eyes. Who told you that? she asked impatiently. Of course it was Molly. She is a sad chatterbox, and I suppose she mentioned too that it was Cyril's fault. Indeed, it was not Molly, returned Audrey eagerly. Kester spoke of it himself. He did not enter into particulars. He just said his brother had let him fall when he was a child. Yes, it was a sad business, with a sigh. I wonder if anyone has ever had so many troubles as I have. Life has been one long struggle to me, Miss Ross, but for several I should have succumbed again and again. No widowed mother has ever been more blessed in a son. Then, dropping her voice, please do not mention the subject before Cyril is dreadfully sore about it. It was a pure accident. They were all lads together, and he had his schoolfellows were racing each other. I think they were steeplechasing, and he had Kester on his back. There was a fence and a stony ditch, and the foolish child tried to clear it. They might both have been killed at such a nasty place, but Kester was the only one hurt. He was always a delicate little fellow, and hip disease came on. He does not suffer so much now, but he'll always be a cripple, and he has bad times now and then. Cyril is so good to him, he has never forgiven himself for the accident. I can understand that, returned Audrey in a moved voice. And then Cyril came back, and she rose to go. I shall see you again, she said, smiling as he accompanied her to the gate. I hear my father has asked you up to Woodcourt this evening to meet the Harcourts. Yes, he returned briefly looking as though the prospect were a formidable one. I could not very well refuse Dr. Ross under the circumstances. Do you wish to refuse? Rather mischievously. No, of course not. But smiling too, I feel as though it would neglect your duty. Look at the muddle in there, and those poor children. I've been working like a horse today, but there's too much to do upstairs. 
I left the living rooms for this evening. You can work all the harder tomorrow, he shook his head. Tomorrow I have to begin lessons. I suppose the model must go on and we must live as we can. Biddy is old and worn out, and Molly is too young to direct her. I will come round and help her, was Audrey's impulsive answer. This is just the sort of thing I love. I do so enjoy putting a place to rights. But, Miss Ross, we have no right to trespass on your kindness, replied Cyril, flushing slightly as he spoke. But Audrey only smiled and showed her dimple. Tell Molly I shall come, was her only answer. Au revoir, Mr. Blake. And Audrey walked on rapidly to Woodcott, feeling that she had spent a very amusing afternoon and quite unaware of the commotion she would raise in her mother's and sister's breasts by those few innocently spoken words. I have been having tea at the Blake's 